When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wayne, you look nice and tan, man. That 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 little trip to the coast must have uh, must have done you well, huh? I was actually cracking up because you were in South Carolina, and I know you went there for a different reason, probably because you were taking care of mom. And I was in Laguna, and I've heard I've never been to South Carolina, but I heard the beaches there are incredible. Yeah, uh, it was nice. Uh, Mom's okay, just so everyone knows. She just you know she she just banged her foot. She hurt her foot, right? Did she break it or just no? She sliced it open on something on the beach. So, well, your I mom's think was, feisty. I, so I think I'm, it was glass. I, 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 or maybe she, maybe she left some glass on there. I don't know. But uh, no, Liz is good. Everybody's well. But hey, you know, look, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll go ahead and get things cranked up here because you know, Wayne, we we did a show before the July Fourth holiday because we wanted to give people some football talking points. Um, and then last week happened when. The Pac-12 and Big Ten just decided, you know what, we're gonna just not play non-conference games. And and I'm curious to know how you handled that news, uh, Wayne, because it affects not only your alma mater but the school that you do sidelines for. And I mean, I just I know that sent shockwaves through the college football world, uh, you especially. So how'd you take that news? I think I saw it coming. You know, I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard of this idea, right? But but here's where I wish, like everything else in the world right now, we're a little bit more clear. Is because because I can't wrap my brain around like if it's purely COVID. If I travel to Washington to play a football game versus traveling to say Alabama to play a football game, what's the difference? It's a money issue, I, I believe. I think it's a way to save money. I think it shortens travel. It may give them an opportunity to push back the start date because we, we have no idea, right? We, we don't know any schedules yet. 
um, for a school like UCLA, who, who had probably one of the tougher schedules in the nation the last couple of years, um, you know, for a while, because we usually have, like last year, for example, next year's schedule, we have LSU on our schedule. The last couple of years, we've had Oklahoma. We've had, you know, we, we play Cincinnati, which when you make that schedule, looks like it's an easy game, and it turns out not being an easy game. But this year, we were supposed to have New Mexico State and Hawaii, and now if we go to an all-Pac-12 schedule, guess who we get to add? Washington and Oregon. Now, as, as a football fan, heck yeah, bring it on, because I was raised in an era where if you won the Pac-10 when I played, you played in the Rose Bowl, and that was like the Super Bowl for us. We all know that the landscape of the college game has changed dramatically, but there, there's, a, there's a part of me that enjoys this idea that we're going to get to see. I'll give you an example. And we know that the ACC and the SEC hasn't done anything yet. You know, the they're Big gonna, 12. They're, yeah, they're, they're still yeah, the Big 12. They're going to wait, back. right? And it's, by it's the, the way, Big Ten. Dan, Dan Wolken, USA Today, is going to yeah. come by in about 30 minutes. We'll talk SEC with him. Wouldn't it be cool if when the schedules come out, let's just say that everybody follows suit. And we because we, we're not even going to get into the fact that we're probably not even going to start in the fall anyway because things are terrible right now. Things have, have gone off the rails. People, it, it's a mess. Schools are not opening. You know, we're, we're my wife and I are both teachers, and we're reading that every day. Like, are we going to go back to school or not? You know, and it's it, so things are chaotic right now. Um, wouldn't it be great though if that if you lost a couple of the non-conference games, and again, I'll use your you know roll tight Alabama, and they would play Georgia. And they would play Florida. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great? I know that there's 14 teams in those conferences and they're not going to play everybody, but wouldn't it be great if you replaced, you know, whatever, you know, podunk you that they play right before their rivalry game and actually put in a, a, another conference game that mattered. So in reality, it stinks that you're going to lose Ohio state, you know, coming to the Pac-12. It stinks that you're going to use Alabama SC. It stinks that you're going to lose that. That's terrible. But if we get college football and we get conferences that actually play closer to everybody, I, I think that could be okay. You know, it's, it's better than the alternative. Sure. So here's the thing. Um, one of the things that you mentioned there is, I think, up in the air about Okay, so if we're not playing a non-conference schedule because we want everyone to have a somewhat level playing field in terms of testing and, and being able to ensure that the people we're lining up against have been tested to the same extent that we have, okay, that's all fine and well. But what has yet, what has yet to be clarified is are we replacing those non-conference games with more conference games? Because what might happen, and again, all this whole show is, is, is under the premise that there will be games because we don't know that there's actually right. going to be games. We're all hoping that there's games because otherwise we're going to be working at Starbucks in a couple months. But my, my, my take here is, you know, Clemson, South Carolina, that, that's an in-state rivalry. They're separated by, you know, a, a bus ride. SEC, ACC, that, that's, that's a game that makes sense if, if everybody is okay with it happening. Now, I know the ACC and the SEC have yet to commit to what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have, but you see where I'm going with this? I mean, there no, are I do. rivalries that make sense if, if, if everybody wants to talk it out. Otherwise, you're going to have eight game, nine game, and then maybe some other teams that are playing 10, 11, 12 game seasons, which is going to be weird. But, but this can't be about proximity. If I go next door and I haven't been next door, I'm exposing myself to whatever they've exposed themselves to. I have no idea what my neighbors have done. 
I don't know what parties they've been to. I don't know what beaches they've been to. I don't know where they've been. So if I go next door, wait, wait, this proximity thing makes no sense to me. I mean, I, yeah, I want to see the rivalry games, but it's just as dangerous as going three states away. Well, I mean, maybe, again, I've been told on social media that a couple of my comments are, are, are dumb. I made the comment on um, our friends that do the Bruin podcast show that always say suck at Hartzell to you. Uh, what's Bruin? Oh, great, great friends of the show, by the way. Yeah, it's, um, it's in jest, but yeah. No, they, I, I know. They, they, they love you, Stephen. They're, they're, you're actually warming their hearts. as well. But I ended up doing a show with them the other night, and I made a comment that the way things are going without a vaccine, it's just common sense to me that whenever we reopen, we're going to have a spike. Like, we're going to close, and it's going to, you know, slow down, and then we're going to open, and we're going to spike. And, and someone responded that that's like a stupid comment and everybody just, you know, does what they're supposed to do. This will work. And I, I laughed at that because if you, if anybody's ever studied history, there, there's one common element that makes every good idea suck in the end. People, we screw it up every time. It almost should be a constant, right? It's like, you can come up with the greatest ideas in the history of mankind and people will find a way to mess it up. Social media is a great idea. It's an amazing idea. People have absolutely sucked the life out of it for me to the point where I almost hate it now. Uh, save that for Dan Wolken when he comes yeah. by because th this guy is living it every day. I mean, people are – and again, I, I, I don't and, – and you're not trying to make this a political show. I'm not implying that you are. But, but the whole wear a mask, don't wear a mask – you know, open everything's political. Clothes. Everything it, it, is. it's so highly charged. So it, I, I want to try to. Yeah, we'll we'll save it. But it, just to finish my thought about the proximity issue, but I mean, I, and again, I, I I'm one of those people. Like I've always believed in the idea of perception is reality, which is a really scary thought. You know, a lot of people truly think they're right on some horrible, horrible ideas and ways of thinking, and so I have to realize that as myself that when I make comments that seem so obvious and so simple, that obviously I do not know everything. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a guy you know, that pays attention, that reads a lot, but the proximity thing, it, it's, you know, when USC and UCLA play, they're as close of rivals as there is in the country. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're next door neighbors. When they play each other, every single player on their team and every single player on UCLA's team has different things they've been exposed to. I don't really – my brain's having a hard time wrapping around, like, what's the difference between that game that's really close and a game that's three states away. I, so I, don't... I, I will attempt to answer that. I, yeah. I think the – my understanding here, Wayne, is that – and we'll take your example of the of the Crosstown – what is it? Crosstown rivalry? Crosstown shootout? Showdown? What's rivalry. the word? Rivalry. Yeah, because okay. okay. it's fun to say rivalry. Yeah, okay, Crosstown. got it. Yeah. Um, the idea is, is that UCLA and Southern Cal can both afford to test their players and coaches Correct. and support staff on equal levels. Uh, now, not the case if it's UCLA and New Mexico State because you don't know what's going on. Uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, I believe. New Mexico State. Is that where we're at? No idea. Please, if I got that wrong, guys. Yep. But you understand what I'm saying? It, it's, it's a money thing. Um, and again, not to wade into political waters, but it's a testing thing. Um, we're seeing with the pro sports that have reopened, MLS, PGA, NBA, which is, you know, going through practices down there in Orlando in the bubble, you know, the, the testing is, it, it's still not quite perfect because it depends on what kind of test you get and what the turnaround time is, but they're catching positives in the bubble. I mean, yep. you know, college is not a bubble If anything. It's, I mean, it's a free for all. It's a Petri dish. So 
it's going to be very interesting because schools have already had to shut down practices that have started. Ohio State, which opened, had a bunch of positives, closed. Now they've restarted practices. LSU, Servers Boys and Clemson had 30-some-odd players who, who tested positive, and so they had to pull back the reins. I, I mean, it's look, it's, it's so unknown, Wayne. It, it's so unknown. But at least the Pac-12 and Big Ten have made their thoughts known on what they want to do. They want to have the flexibility. Yeah. And I expect the other three power conferences to follow suit. And it makes it easier if you're going to do like, and we haven't talked about this yet, but a lot of people are mentioning spring schedules. And I know that Dr. Fauci, um, any doctor that you want to listen to have talked, have talked about, you know, how, how impressed they are with what's happening with the vaccines. I was just watching the news this morning and they're talking about how they're already starting to go to, to human testing and they're, they're good phase three, you know, whatever, you know, let's go science. So let's go, but, but but we, we find constantly, and I I will make another little statement about science is proven only to be disproven at a later date. And if you're not paying attention, I mean, and there was an example of this just earlier today when they were talking about, Oh, we thought that this was the case and now it's not. And I know people don't want to hear that, and I'm not an anti-science person, but remember, we, we come up with these ideas constantly throughout history only to find out that, oh, wait a second, maybe we were wrong. That's not the case anymore. Um, we're relying on a vaccine that if you study the science is going to be really difficult to get it right. And I heard someone say this earlier this morning that I thought was very, very interesting that, you know, are we going to just sit back and hope, shut everything down and hope that this works? Because um, if we're fast-tracking it to, say, the beginning of the year, which a lot of people have been throwing out that that date, get around January, you know, we can do this, then maybe we hold off football and then try to do a spring season, and then we have to worry about the quick turnaround and all that stuff. We'll get to that later. But what if it doesn't happen? Don't we have to learn to – you know, someone said this earlier today on something I was watching that, you know, we may have to learn to live with this. We may need to learn to, to deal with the disease more than just hoping for a vaccine. So some of the other stuff they're studying might be just as important. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but the history of figuring out a vaccine for a coronavirus hasn't been great. So it's interesting to me. I, I'm just, and then if people won't take it, because you know, there's a lot of people out there that'll be like, I'm not taking that. Sure. Yeah. Well, again. so it, it's, it's, it's not this, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And, and I, it scares the heck out of me. Because the world has changed. It, it's crazy. Well, especially our world. I mean, in the United States, it, it, it has changed. The, the rest of the world, you know, with, with the exception of like, you know, the UK and Brazil and, and a couple of other places, like European soccer is back. Okay. Yep. Um, the, you know, Korean baseball is back. You know, sports in Asia are back. You know, the United States, like... I think the MLS started playing, golf started playing. You know, I mean, the they're, 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 they're is, doing some stuff. barely a sport. Uh, but yeah, the, the I, thing I, is, I knew you were going to say that. You've got, say you've got the bubble that's been constructed. And in, 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 in the case of these pro leagues, Wayne, you're talking about the NBA bubble I read is a $150 million bubble. Okay, it costs $150 million to bring these players into Disney World yeah. and protect them, put them in a hotel. And dudes are still testing positive. So it's, it's yeah. going to be a challenge, you know, as we get into the season, if there is a season, to, to start and then see how it reacts. And, and look, don't come at me with mortality rates. This is not about, like, worst case scenario is a, a student athlete is in a hospital on a ventilator. We don't need to get to that point. That's not what it's going to take to shut down college football. We're, we're on the precipice of college football being shut down right now because 
positive rates are through the roof because there's there's a there's a pandemic, people. Um, and I understand everybody's wearing, you know, hey, wear your mask, wear your mask. Yes, wear your mask. Um, but it's mid-July, and we're within nine weeks of of the start of of what was supposed to be the start of college football season. So in many ways, we're we're, we're late to the party. Very. So party. again, and and I, I agree, but it, almost everything we all say, and I'm going to try not to say anything because it's obvious. Almost everything we all say comes from a political bias. Almost everything we say. We can't help it. You see it in everything. Is my political I mean, even, bias coming it, through in my commentary? No, like, no, you, 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 do, you do a really good job, but, but the idea that you probably are, are on the side that's against our current leadership and thinking that this has been handled very poorly when I'm more on the, on the, on the idea that I don't know what president in the history of mankind could have handled this well. Pandemics are difficult and we tend to love to be armchair quarterbacks on Monday and decide that we would have made all the great decisions that other people haven't made. And we're so muddy when it comes to what we see the media and social media have actually merged they're, they're almost like it's the same entity now. And it's just confusing. This is a terrible time where most of us have no idea who to believe. Yeah, that, that's a very big thing. Look, I'm a parent. I've got, I've got a, a, a soon-to-be four-year-old and a one-year-old. I mean, I, I yep. have decisions with my wife that we need to make about school. Again, not going to turn it into a political show, but to your point, Wayne, where do I go to get answers? Because there, there, that's, yes, thank you. there have been some major um, – Thank you. There have been some major, uh, you know, uh, issues with who to believe and who's giving out the right information, and so that that should never happen. That that should, you should never have to look at a, a governing body and say, I don't know if the information you're yes. giving me is is valid or, or and, accurate. That's a, that's and, that's no good. And just to make it clear, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. I just watched um, my wife and I just finished the four episode uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Which is oh, just why? horrific, that sounds, right? That sounds that sounds extremely dark, Wayne. Come on. But no, but but there was there was there's politics in it. Sure. There was fun. a total cover up, and there's big money and big power, and it, it's weird. And I'll transition back into sports from this because I don't want to go down this road. But you're exactly right, and you nailed it. Just so people don't, you know, because people are probably trying to figure out my bias too. I'm over political parties. I, we we need to have a sh- serious shift in our in our political the way we do things because we're so polarized and we're so divided that somehow some way we need to have just a regular person that listens to good ideas, you know, and tries to create change that's positive instead of always having that political. The Dems do this and the Republicans do this. It's really annoying. Um, I'm excited to see because I've said it before. We need coaches in politics. And I have no idea because I haven't researched what Tommy Tuberville's political oh stance boy. is on anything. I have no idea. But my, the point is, and I know this is going to, I'm just using that as an example. Coaches every year have to bring together families and people of all different, more so than ever, by the way, right now, of all different political backgrounds, all socioeconomic backgrounds, culture, you know, so many different things. And they have to make a team out of that group. Look at Nick Saban, for example. I mean, he, he brings in players from California all the way to, you know, the, the East Coast. I mean, he covers the whole United States. He has to find a way to, to bring – because you can be talented, and if you don't come together as a team, you're not going to win. Everybody just thinks you throw a bunch of five stars out on the field and you're going to win because you have more talent. Yeah, you'll beat crappy teams, but you probably won't win championships because eventually you're going to run into another talented team that they've come together as a team. It's real hard to do that as a society, right? 
and, and I wish that we had members of Congress, including, you know, the executive branch as well, that could bring people together. We're not even close to that right now. I mean, we hate each other in, in, in our political, and again, not a political show, so I apologize, but I did want to go back to the money thing, Stephen. Yeah. Did you, did you get a chance to even look at what I sent you earlier? And if you did, yes. don't worry about no, it. No, it was, it was a fantastic read, and um, I'll give you a chance to plug it here on the show. But, yes, it, 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 it's a jumping-off point to a lot of things that, that, that have put us in this place that we're at right it's, now. It's, it actually started um, it, with, with – I heard Aaron Taylor uh, from CBS doing an interview, and he was talking about the bigger picture of money, um, like rearing its ugly head right now. And I, I didn't even realize the, uh, the amount of money in the last 10 years – like people have almost doubled how much they're spending on college sports. And I thought this for a long time. When I go back to my day and I walked into our locker room, it was better than my high school locker room at UCLA. It was really, really nice. I was more concerned about the players that had walked through the, the, that locker room before than I was about how nice it was. But our facilities have become stupid. Our coaching salaries have become stupid. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but I think it eventually could be the downfall of, of college sports. You know, we're, we're catering to that top one or 2% that are going to be future NFL players. And we're forgetting about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of athletes that are going to school to get an education and are lucky enough to play college football. And it's going to change their life because they're going to get a degree and they're going to go on to great things. But we've created a situation where there's so much money involved when there's it's the arms race, right? They're spending so much money on the sport the bubble has to burst at some point in time, and it may be right now. Yeah, the bubble may be bursting. The, the, the article that Wayne is referring to, um, Ira Schoffel, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, probably Thank a member you. of the tribe, so I should do better. Uh, but he writes for <laughs> Warchant, which is the FSU Rivals uh, affiliate. And he talks about the spending in college sports. And, and, and here's a couple of numbers, which, again, are, I mean, it's, it's sobering. It's, you know, it, I don't even want to say, that's not the right word. The, the numbers are... It, they're hard to kind of wrap your head around. Yep. The, 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 these are the types of numbers that we're talking about in college athletics. Okay. Amateur athletics, quote unquote, uh, Florida state where Ira writes um, over a nine year span, Florida state spent, went from spending $75 million a year in 2010 uh, to $150 million in 2019. That's at Florida state university of Georgia in 2010 spent 90 million on sports Nine years later, they were spending $174 million. Texas A&M, which joined the SEC from the Big 12, went from spending uh, $90 million in 2010 to $212 million nine years later. Um, Cerber, your boys at Clemson, went from $60 million in 2010 to last year $134 million. So it's coaches' salaries, it's facilities – and Wayne, I know you don't want to hear this, um, but you can keep putting this money back into these things because you've got a surplus of it because of TV money. And guess what? You don't have to pay the workforce. They're student athletes. They're on scholarship. They're quote unquote getting theirs, but you keep putting this money back in. College athletics don't have rainy day funds. It's not like a university that's got this endowment that's just hanging out over here on the right. side. And by the way, that is not a rainy day fund either. That's just, those are just numbers on a page. But right. to your point, Wayne, you cut the faucet off, which is what the yeah. NCAA did in the spring with no basketball tournament and what we're facing in the fall with no football. All of a sudden, these athletic departments are going to be on life support. Well, and we're seeing it already with some schools across the country. I know Stanford has cut, 
Now, granted, they're cutting programs that nobody else has. <laughs> they, they have some, you know, their fencing program. And I'm not making fun of it because I love the idea that – I like the idea of college athletics because, as I pointed out earlier, so many athletes – like when I was growing up, and this is what bothers me, a scholarship was the golden ticket. It was sure. this opportunity to go to college. We never thought about not getting paid. I was just stoked to be on TV. If they put me on a video game and I saw number 15 wearing a UCLA uh, jersey on a low-tech video game, I was pumped. I wasn't like, where's mine? Right. I, I just – I never thought that way. I wasn't raised that way. You could say it's because you were just naive back then. I don't think so. I make a lot of money off my UCLA, and I know people know that I'm a school teacher, so they're probably laughing at that comment. But I make, I've made good money over my life because I played football at UCLA. I've got opportunities to be a broadcaster. I've got opportunities to be a teacher. And, yeah, maybe I struggled a little bit. Maybe I didn't have enough money at the end of the month because I spent too much on crap I didn't need. Maybe I didn't use my, you know, but that's how you learn. Everybody goes to college to learn. To, you, know, you don't just get to become a doctor because you're talented. You have to go to school first. You have to pay for it. And then you, then you earn the right to, to be a pro. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's so much money. But what these athletes get now, they get way more than we used to. They get gear pretty much it seems like whenever they want it. Their facilities are ridiculous. Um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing what they have. And in my opinion, they don't, they don't need that much. Again, we're catering to that top 1%, 2%. And not only that, the money that football makes trickles down to all these other sports. So now how many other athletes are going to suffer? We talked about, I know Vanderbilt's doing a lot to kind of, you know, that's an SEC school. Um, you know, I talked about Stanford dropping programs, and it's not going to stop there. If this yeah. football season doesn't happen, a lot of schools across the country are going to be like, we can't afford this anymore. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. I mean, everybody's looking at trying to make up a, a, a deficit. The question is, how big is that deficit going to be? And at the end of the day, that 1% to 2% of amazing athletes that are at, you know, Clemson, that are at Alabama, you know what they're still going to be in a couple of years? They're still going to be millionaires. Yeah, the top one. I, 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 struggle, I struggle to feel too bad for that group because, you know, a lot of these guys have come out of high school and they're already on draft boards because they're so highly recruited. You know, I worry about that kid that is sitting there right now because a lot of people are worried that if a spring season happens that, you know, some of those elite players, bless you, server, a lot of those elite players are going to skip the season, right? You've heard this, this being talked about. That's, yeah, let's, um, let's get to that a little bit later because I think that's something where your head is literally going to explode. We will, but, but, but I, it might explode. But what, what I, I keep thinking about, because this time gives us a lot of time to sit back and think, is there are a lot of players. The problem with agents in the, in the world we live in is every athlete is told by someone that they're two or, one or two rounds better than they, they really are. Right. That's the thing. You know, I was a fourth or fifth round draft choice and it turned into being a free agent because my agents told me that from day one, we're going to get you this. We're going to get you this. We're going to get you this, you know, whatever. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. When you're a kid, you're like, of course I'm great. All athletes think that they're that guy. The problem is most of them aren't. And, and a lot of players, even that leave early for the NBA draft, don't even get drafted. Right. They end up in the G league and then they never make it. I mean, there's tons of stories like that. So for me, there would still be a ton you know, spring, even if it was a spring season, because they need to prove to NFL scouts that they're not a fourth rounder, they're a second rounder. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I still think a lot of people would play. We might lose some of the surefire people. Um, I still think Trevor Lawrence will play. Who? Because Trevor, I think Trevor Lawrence yeah, is, Trevor, get, I, I, think, let, I think Trevor Lawrence talk about likes it. football. 
And I think he loves his teammates. And I think he loves his coach. And I think he would do like Matt Leinart did years ago with USC. Even though he could have left, he stayed. Boy. I, I, and I'm, again, I, I think he would play. Uh, nah. <laughs> I think he's just going to take the money and run, right? I, I mean, Wayne, all these guys love football I, to varying degrees. I, I get your point. You know, do you love football? Do you eat, breathe, and sleep this stuff? If you are a bona fide, certified first-rounder, Get an insurance not, policy. Yeah. Oh, boy. I, I mean, it's a lot easier said than done, man. That That is. I, I, I just, I, I've never, I, I again, I, I know you guys, you know, you, you may I, or may not be right. I, I, I don't care. I would have never thought Christian McCaffrey would skip a bowl game. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. But, but the, and, and again, I'm just pointing out that, that, or, or how, with Justin Fields, I know, is he too young? By the way, I don't know. That's McCaffrey what I was going to say. Because he hasn't played. won a championship. He, to have a chance at winning a national championship, I just feel like more college athletes want to make their mark than I think we give them credit for. I think so many of them you think are just thinking about the money. And I think some of them realize that like all these players throughout history that have actually played out their seasons are still making money. It's not like the money's going anywhere. And I also think, and this is maybe scary, but a lot of athletes don't go into every season thinking they're going to get hurt. Of course. No, I, I understand. By the way, I just, just quick footnote on Christian McCaffrey, who is now the highest paid NFL running back in the history of the league. Um, yeah. He made the right choice. Okay. He because he choice. probably would have been hurt if he played in that bowl game. Let's we'll come back to the spring football talk in just a minute. Our man Dan Wolken has entered the chat. We're going to talk to Dan Wolken from USA Today coming up next. College Sports Now rolls on. We've got Dan Wolken from USA Today with us. Uh, Dan, thank you for making the time. First of all, uh, I know you got a lot going on. We wanted to talk about the article you wrote regarding, you know, the SEC, which is right now in kind of a holding pattern. They haven't formally made a decision about what they want to do in the fall, but you know, if the Big Ten and Pac-12 are, are any indication, you, you think they're going to follow suit and go conference only in terms of their football schedule? I don't know if it'll be purely conference only, only because there is a significant pull, I think, for some of these schools to play uh, in-state rivalry games, Georgia-Georgia Tech, Clemson-South Carolina, Florida-Florida State. Those are important games that, again, assuming you get to that point in the season and uh, the college football is still up and running that you'd want to play those if possible. Uh, I think the reason why these leagues are, are looking at conference only is, is flexibility uh, because you control the schedule. It's easier to move the pieces on the chessboard and you don't have to worry about what's going on in other leagues, but um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know if, you know, they'll, they'll do that uh, or they'll try to just, you know, go conference only, but I do think that uh, ev everyone will eventually end up in, in roughly the same place. That being said, Dan, it, it is, is, you know, we're talking about all this right now, but the closer we get to start time where, where schools would need to start practicing to prepare for a season, it just, and I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about this the whole time. Cause I want to see a football season, but it just seems like, it probably isn't going to start when it's supposed to start. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think the one thing that, that should have probably been articulated at the beginning in, a, in very clear terms, but I think now is, is much more out front of the conversation, is that the ability to play college football is, is tied to the conditions in the country. And the conditions in the country, and in, certainly in, in the South, in places like Georgia and Texas 
and Florida and South Carolina, the conditions aren't very good. And it's all interconnected. You know, you can't have college football uh, as sort of this separate entity that's detached from the reality of what's going on. And the reason is because you can't put college football in a bubble. You can't put any college sports in a bubble. They're, they're going to be played uh, as part of the campus environment, as in, a, in a city, uh, in a campus community, with very little defense against the coronavirus. So if the infection levels are still really high, and of course we know the domino effect, which is testing availability, which is hospital availability, all the re PPE resources and all those things, that all trickles down to football. So you need to get the virus under control before you can really think about executing football the way it needs to be executed. And is that going to happen by September 1st? It's looking tough right now. So I think the next step would be, you know, you try to maybe push it off till October and say, okay, buy us another month. Hopefully, you know, the numbers come down. Hopefully we learn more about how to deal with certain things. Um, if that doesn't work, you know, then maybe you push it off later again and then ultimately to spring and then maybe it just doesn't happen. But yeah, I think time is running out. There's no doubt about it to, to have that season start when it was supposed to start. I, I know you're not in these athletic director meetings and, and the SEC had one, I, I think, um, last week and, and in Birmingham and, and, and those are closed door meetings. I don't know you're not privy to what's being discussed in there, but you know, when you go back to March, when all this was happening in real time, and, you know, you've got conference basketball tournaments getting banged and the NCAA tournaments getting banged, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not a matter of the blame game, Dan, but, like, do you look at conference commissioners? Do you look at athletic directors and say you could have done more here or are, or are they hamstrung by their own governors within each state? I'm just curious what your take is on that. There's certainly an element that has been political throughout all of this. Uh, and we weren't a couple weeks into the lockdowns when, you know, starting with the president of the United States, there was this idea that, oh, we'll, we'll be open by Easter. You know, we got to open the country. We got to get back to work. And, you know, all of that stuff was divorced from the actual conditions. And as we saw, you know, states started to lift restrictions and open back up before they had even reached the thresholds that had been outlined by the coronavirus task force. So, you know, then you get into Memorial Day and holidays and all these other things that have happened and people had, had you know, believing, I think, that the worst was behind us, uh, probably started to act a little bit irresponsibly. Now the numbers are, are back up. I don't know who is to blame, you know, for all of it. I'm sure there's a lot to go around. But I do think that, you know, like when you heard people in college sports back in April and May talk about a football season, what they would say is, we'll follow CDC guidelines. That was what they, was, what they said. And that, to me, is a framing that doesn't really put the onus on, on people. You know, the, the, the reality of the situation was not what the CDC guidelines were going to be. The reality was always, can we all together, you know, get this virus under control so that we can have football? we can't have football until X, Y, and Z happens. But it was never really framed that way. And I think that was a mistake. Would that have changed people's behavior? I don't know. But I think certainly that's the way I would have advised approaching it back then. Sure.
All right. So Dan, so when I started social media years ago, I, uh, I follow majority sports people, including yourself, people that talk. And obviously we're all more than that. All of us are, we all have lives. We all pay attention to politics and stuff. I have never seen the shift from just a couple of years ago to today where everything's, you mentioned it being political. Everything seems to be political. When you post something, when you like something, when you write an article that ends up on people respond to it and either I love you or you're a, a complete idiot and you should be like kicked off the planet for being a bad person. I know that rivalries have been created. I, I you know, that people get in arguments. People don't always agree with what you say. Some people love what you say. If you could just go into that a little bit because you're very active. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go back to the uh, winter Olympics in 2018 uh, in South Korea. I was over there writing a story one day about uh, Norway was cleaning up. Uh, they were winning everything uh, at this particular Winter Olympics. They ran away with the medal count for the first time ever. And uh, I was writing about why they were having such great success. And you know, I wrote this piece uh, about how Norway's youth development system you know, doesn't emphasize winning and losing uh, until they get, they don't even keep score until like age 12 or something, you know, right. something like that. And, you know, really they focus on, uh, you know, they focus on, on having fun and, you know, making it so that the kids want to go and so that they don't get discouraged if they lose and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And, um, you know, and, and basically like the next day I wake up and, you know, I, my article had been aggregated for, for Breitbart, which is like this right-wing political website, you know, and they're just trashing me for writing this article about, about nor you know, about, you know, liberal socialist Norway. And, you know, it just, so this is not new, like this has been going on. Right. Um, and a lot of it is with regard to, to the coronavirus has to do with, frankly, just news literacy. I think it's one of the biggest things in this country right now is, is news literacy. And, and there's this, um, you know, th this whole machine, economic machine that's built on, you know, kind of injecting, you know, muddying the waters and, you know, conspiracy theories and, and saying, you know, what you're being told is not, is not real. And so you end up, you know, with something like this, right, where, you know, people just, they, they, they refuse to accept what is happening and what is being reported because they're able to go to their, their safe space of, you know, of, of, of misinformation and it, it's just very hard to break through. And so right. when you're dealing with something like this, that's just that I, I that's just kind of where where we are as a country. And it, it probably is why it's hard to fix a lot of these problems. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, Dan, you know, you cover the Olympics. I mean, you were supposed to be in Tokyo this summer. It, it's not like oh. people are rooting. <laughs> you know, Wayne and I talk about this, too. I mean, our 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 gigs in the fall are tied to live sporting events. Well, if those live sporting events aren't here, that changes things for us. And look, no disrespect to restaurant owners and small businesses who have been dealing with this for five months, but you know, that, that that's something that, that, that creeps up when you're having these discussions. And it's like, look, I'm not rooting against sports. I mean, you, you've had furloughs this, this summer as a result of, of all of this. We all have. Yeah. I mean, look, what I, what I would say in what I've told people before is regardless uh, of what I'm rooting for or not, that doesn't change the reality of the decisions that have to be made and some of the issues that are 
legitimate challenges and obstacles to sports and specifically college sports being played. This is a once in a century type of pandemic. Uh, it, it's a difficult circumstance and terrible situation for a whole lot of people. And sports are one thing that is particularly difficult to execute and pull off in this environment because you can't really play a sport like football uh, without risking a lot of transmission of, of a pretty dangerous uh, virus. So I, I, <laughs> I, I do not want to gaslight people into saying that this is easy. Let's just ignore it. You know, the virus is going to go away. Just what's the big deal? That's not being honest. And so if I were, you know, even if I were, uh, you know, rooting for games to be played and telling you that it's all going to be great, there's not going to be any problems, that would not be news reporting. That would be propagandizing. And that's just not what right. I'm in the business of doing. So th th what made me think about when you were talking about this, how deep this is, now you add um, the movement for equality, the movement to end police brutality, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, all these movements for the LGBTQ community. There's so much going on at the same time while we're struggling with the pandemic. And I'm going to tie this into football. This is impacting football coaches across the country. We saw what happened at Florida State, what's happened at Clemson, what happened at Oklahoma State, even out in my neck of the woods at UCLA with players rising up to say, hey, listen, we want to make sure we're safe when we start playing. Players across the country are now having a voice. And I can tell you this as a fact. Coaches, especially in my day, they wanted you to dedicate your life to football. Yeah, you can go to class, you can get an education, but you know what? You need to give this 110% of everything you're made of and now we're living in a world where and now you add the pay for play you add you, know, you you add all these elements into more freedom to players that's going to create some issues going forward as well in my opinion well look the context of of all of this stuff has changed uh players because of the interconnectedness that we all have through social media uh they understand that they can organize amongst each other you know, they, they are able to communicate with one another. They, they were able to share and compare, you know, what life is like here and what life is like there. And uh, of course, they also are, are, they're smart and they see what's happening in the world. So um, the one thing about coaching, we can talk about X's and O's, recruiting, all, all the things that go into building a successful program. I think the biggest thing that's important to successfully coaching in college is adaptability. The, the, the skill to be able to, to say things have evolved in a certain way and that if I am going to continue to connect with my players, if I'm gonna still be able to inspire and lead and motivate players, I have to change the way that they have changed. And I think that's something that the successful coaches will figure out and the guys who aren't as good uh, they will be exposed. Dan, you've covered the NCAA for a while and, and just kind of talking about their struggles to keep up with the changing face of college sports. I, I'm curious just to get your take on where the NCAA fits into this because I, I feel like going back to the spring when they were on the forefront of saying no more, we, we can't do the NCAA tournament, they've really been neutered over the last couple of months. And 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 just kind of your take on – on that leadership void because these conference commissioners, it, it does kind of have an every man for himself mentality. Well, even if you remember at the time that the NCAA tournament was shutting down, 
the conferences were kind of in the dark and they were having to make these decisions uh, for themselves and talk amongst each other and figure out what to do. I mean, I remember very vividly, you know, the Big Ten played that, that Wednesday night. The SEC played, I think the ACC played on that Wednesday. And then you go into Thursday and I'm texting people in the leagues trying to figure out whether they're going to play Thursday and they don't really know. And then Thursday morning, like dominoes falling over, they all cancel their conference tournaments. Uh, and the NCAA had nothing to do with that. And there was some frustration at that time from people in various leagues that they weren't getting enough guidance from the NCAA. It, it, it certainly exposes a, a flaw in the system, which is the lack of centralized control. The NCAA controls their tournaments, uh, but football does not have a tournament under the NCAA banner. They control the playing rules, but they don't control the administration of the conferences. So everything is balkanized in college sports. That is done by design. It's done to maximize the revenue, frankly, that these schools get and the television exposure that these schools get. But what's the downside of it? Yeah, a situation like this where you do need somebody who's you know kind of shepherding uh, schools through this process to give, you know, advice to set those kinds of standards. And, you know, even if the NCAA wanted to, to do that, I'm not sure they're really built in a way that they could. Yeah. All right. Let's do, let's, let's, let's at least try to trickle in a little bit of actual football here. Um, just for fun here. Uh, if the season does happen and I hate saying that, I just, this is weird. I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Like, like it's just odd. If it does, who do you like? Who do you think at the end of it's going to win a championship this year? Um, maybe a Heisman front runner and uh, Darko, a team like that may come out of nowhere and surprise people this year. You know, just kind of going into it, uh, I certainly think that Ohio State would have a great chance to win a national championship mm -hmm. this year with, uh, with Justin Fields. And, you know, I think the second year with Ryan Day, I'm sure that uh, – he learned a lot, you know, in his first year as a head coach, uh, that, that they'll take a step forward. But they're really, really talented on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I, I certainly would like them and the rest of the uh, typical cast of characters, mm -hmm. Clemson, Alabama, you know, certainly right there. Um, Oklahoma, I would expect to win the Big 12 again. You know, all, the, all those kinds of uh, things. Not a lot changes uh, there. And I do think Justin Fields – will will win the Heisman if, if there's a season uh, if, if you know if, if they're allowed to play all, all those games I think he'd have the best chance um, as far as a, a dark horse you know maybe uh, it's, a, it's a good question I mean there's a lot of buzz about Oregon I don't know if if they are far down enough to be considered a dark horse but I certainly think um, they are are good I think Minnesota you know Minnesota, is a team that's going to bring a ton of players back mm -hmm. uh, really good last year. And um, I, I think they would have a great chance to, to win that division and you know, play for a big 10 title. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how far, how deep you want to go, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's hard to pick dark horses in college football because it is sort of a sport dominated by the, by the blue bloods, yep. but uh yeah, you know, I think it's it's going to be a really interesting season if there is one. 
Just just quickly, Stephen, before you have a question, just to add to that, it's interesting that you said that because I think that for a dark horse team, a lot of times because of the way recruiting has gone, and if any of you, I mean, we've all looked at the list, you know, the five and four stars that are going to like a handful of teams is ridiculous. You know, we have teams that have like three or four or five stars, and then they have like the rest of their recruiting classes, all four stars. And then you have other schools like Minnesota, for example, that are nowhere near that. For a dark horse to creep in, you have to have a year where absolutely you have to have great quarterback play. You have to have zero players get hurt that matter because usually you don't have the same depth. You know, we watch Alabama, they lose a quarterback and they still have a chance to win a national championship because they're that talented. And so other schools don't. So like you said, Oregon's been recruiting like crazy. They have to replace a pretty good quarterback, but they have a defense that might be amazing. But we, I don't know what their offense is going to look like. I'm not sure. So it, it, to your point, dark horses are difficult because so many things can happen that can derail those teams usually. Well, on the other end of that, though, I would say that this year could be the year that you do have something wild happen because of yeah. COVID. You know, yeah. you're going to have teams that potentially have to sit players or forfeit yeah. games or all kinds of strange circumstances. I know this is odd for people to think about in here, but winning and losing is not really the priority if there's a season. It's just kind of getting through it, you know, and, and so – the team that maybe has the best luck with COVID ends up kind of standing at the end. And that, that could be the kind of year we we're in for. Yeah. That, that's an interesting take. I, I am curious, uh, Dan, just to kind of let you go on this, you know, do you feel like the rift in college sports between the haves and the have nots, you, do you feel like that's, that's going to be growing over the next couple of months? Cause it, it's so uncertain and I understand that, but you know, the, the, you know, we always talk about the power five and the group of five and, you know, financially just the, the implications of, of having a shortened or, you know, in worst case, no football season at all. And, and the impact that's going to have on college sports. Yeah. Look, the thing is though, even within the so-called haves, there's haves and have nots. Right. And I think that's where you're going to end up getting, if there is a major disruption to, to the year, where you're going to end up getting more and more polarized because look, I think for some of these group of five schools, they lose money on football. If, if they can't play football, uh, then it will be terrible and they may have to make some, some major cuts, but they're not losing out on the kind of revenue that you would lose out on as sort of a mid tier uh, power five school who, who would be at risk of, of, of huge losses, and yet they are trying financially to keep up with the Ohio State's, Alabama's, Florida's. So I think those are the schools that are most at risk of, of falling off are the ones that are in the Power Five, but don't sort of have that backstop where they could survive a year of, of not having the, the football revenue. That's good stuff. Dan, I could do this all day. Dan Wolken, USA Today, at Dan Wolken on Twitter. Uh, before we let you go, what, what do you, you know, give our listeners kind of a sneak peek, what you got coming out? What are you working on here coming up over the next couple of days and weeks? Or are you just keeping an eye and an ear on what these conference commissioners are going to be telling us? Yeah, I mean, look, we're in a time right now where, where it's just day-to-day, and it's week-to-week, yeah. and it's trying to, to point out issues and storylines that are, are occurring around the country and trying to highlight – you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of what everyone's trying to do. But obviously the question of whether there is a season and in what form is, is the biggest thing uh, in college sports right now. And frankly, in quite a long time. 
Yeah. Yep. Well, appreciate the time, Dan, and uh, enjoy your work. Stay safe down there in Hotlanta. All right, we'll do it again soon. Thank you. There you go. Thanks, Dan, Dan Wilkin, USA Today. Doesn't it feel like spring is, 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 is getting closer to being an option? Well, it's the next step. Right. I mean, they're, 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 they bought themselves a month with the no non-conference schedule and they, the next step is to push it back to the spring before they say we can't do it because of it, the health of those involved. We just can't. So well, if, if they bought themselves a month and, and this is a, again, I, cause there are some teams that come out right out of the shoot and had conference games week one. Yeah. A couple of that SEC always happens. It, 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 yeah. it always happens. So, um, they could push back a regular season anyway if they wanted to. They could just say we're not going to start until not September. We're going to move. We're going to move it back a month, and we'll still play everything the way we normally do, and it'll just bleed into basketball season. More than all of our sports overlap now anyway. Um, so when you say that, and and I get what you're saying, that's are we implying that maybe we we keep conference schedules where you play exactly and just shorten the number of games in a season? Because that's something that hasn't really come out. You know, I liked the idea of the Pac-12 playing everybody. Like, if UCLA is going to drop its three non-conference games, let's add Washington and sure. Oregon sure. And I, because that just makes more sense. Let's add, you know, some big-time, you know, other division, you know, cross-conference games. And, wow, you're going to get to see some games in the regular season. And, and yet I would be, if you really think about it, if that were to happen, we would probably – it would make it harder – for teams going undefeated. Well, the irony here, Wayne, is 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 rehashing a discussion that you and I have all during the fall, which is why some conferences like yours play, play nine. a nine game conference schedule, and others like the ACC and SEC play eight. If if we already had conference standardization here in terms of number of right. conference games, the the math would be so much easier. So right. I, you know. I, the, the the bigger thing is whether the SEC and ACC and maybe even the Big 12 who who need a dance partner because, you know, Baylor Ole Miss week one isn't happening at Jerry's world. Um, at least you would think uh, that's speculatively that's not going to happen. It could still happen, but maybe it happens in in uh, at a later date. Wait, what's their their conference? They play nine, though, right? They play everybody. The Big 12, yes, they do play, they play everybody. everybody. But you know, There's 10 teams and they play everybody. The more games you can get in your schedule, the more times you're on TV, the more revenue you're able to at least bring back to your athletic department who is, who is I mean, they are looking everywhere for ways to try to save money. Uh, I've seen some numbers. I think it was the Iowa State athletic director who came out and said $60 million deficit if there's no yeah, football. No. Yeah. I mean, that is, a, that is a huge number. Yeah. Um, so you can't make that up. Uh, so it's, no, it's can't. Be interesting because they they haven't said to your point, Wayne. They haven't said no non-con, but we are going to replace those with one, two, maybe three more conference games. That would be fantastic. But I just I don't know if we're there yet. I, I don't know if you can come out and and fill that and have games in in September. So so since I'll pick your brain on this, uh, and, and Serber, you can chime in if you know. The, the TV side of it, the TV contracts, obviously, if our schedules are changed and there's less games, is, is the way the contracts work. Um, and I, cause I have no idea if, if like, for example, if UCLA is going through their season and, you know, they're playing uh, terribly and they end up having more games on Pac-12 network or they're playing really well and they're on ABC or ESPN or Fox for big time games and, and important slots. 
how do the contracts work for that? I, I actually have no clue. I, I don't know if they get a certain amount of money and like uh, if, if like Fox and ESPN and whoever says, we're going to give you this much money for your season. Or if it's based on, if we're going to put you in this time slot, you get $10 million more. You know, again, just throwing out numbers. I don't know I how that it's works. The, it's, I, I don't know the legalese, like the nuts and bolts of, of the contract language, especially considering that there's a pandemic, but each school and each conference gets the same payout. That, that is equal. Right. So, so that's what I thought. But then, but then how does it affect if you're in the primetime slot versus other slots? I don't know. I, I don't know if there is an effect. I think it's based on number of games. So like if you're, if you're a TV partner with one of these leagues and you're saying, look, you're not giving me 12 games, you're only giving me eight, you right. know those TV partners are going to come back and say, give okay. us a break, you know, cut us right. a discount here. We can't, we can't dole this out. So look, I mean, right. look, I mean, again, the, the, the financial ramifications here, and I know you're in LA, Wayne, but the college towns out there, the small communities like Clemson, South Carolina, like Athens, Georgia, like Gainesville, Florida, like College Station, Texas. Like if that, if you don't have a hundred thousand people coming in on a Saturday to, to fill your coffers, right. so to speak. Yeah, but for the for the first time in in forever, UCLA lost money. I mean, they were in a deficit last year for the first time, and like. A long time. I believe it. I um, saw those and, the Rose Bowl last year. I believe for, it. For, no, but it wasn't just because of that. It, it was. It, it, shut up, okay? Love you, buddy. <laughs> for, 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 for other reasons, um, there, you know, it's difficult right now. We talked about it earlier with how much money goes into everything now. And, yes, there are some big-time donors at all of these programs that put a lot of money into it. It's not just coming from the school. I mean, there's people that donate a lot of money. There's a lot of fundraising that goes into this. Um, but if you pile on a bad year and you throw in this, you know, I mean, I, I hate to see it because like, I just, I, my wife and I were, um, wearing masks at Laguna beach, uh, this, this last couple of days, we went on a little retreat, my wife and I with no kids, which was fantastic. And, um, Again, when we walked around Laguna Beach and we went into the shops, we ate on patios, you know, we did everything outdoors and we did wear our masks. Um, it was it was really, really uh, enjoyable, but um, I totally lost my train of thought. That's because you were thinking about the. I was the, thinking the, about yeah, the beach. What, to life with what, no what were we talking about before? This happens to me now as I get, you know, the grayer and older. I completely, I was going somewhere about TV with that. Money. We're talking about UCLA's deficit. No, just total haze, huh? Why did I talk about being gone? And wow, that's bad. That's you know maybe okay. maybe those maybe those blows to the head. Did. <laughs> I didn't want to say. I didn't did want to say. Is this, did, is this USC ninety three? Is this a consequence? Of oh the my gosh! What the heck was I? You know, and it's funny though, and I don't know you guys if this ever happens to you, but it'll come to me later. Well, there there was a point that was going to be made. And I have no freaking clue where I was going with that story. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It's all right. I just wanted to brag about being able to go on a vacation that's 45 minutes away from my house at well, Laguna it's, Beach. It's it's a good thing, good timing on that because Gavin or Newsom is you know he's shutting it all down again. So I think, but you could still eat on 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 patios and stuff. Again, this is killing me. That server, you know, I'm glad that I made your day right there. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. trying real hard to we'll find it. We'll clean it up in post, man. Don't no, worry. no, no. We'll we're leaving. Out. We're leaving <laughs> all this in. Did you say Gavin or Newsom? Is that a thing? Is Gavin. that a nickname? Gavin, Gavin or Newsom. 
Gavin, Gaviner said, is funny, but no, Gavin Newsom, he shut it down. Gaviner. No, I don't you think said I did. Gavin. You no. did. And, no. I, and California has a history. They had the governor. The governor. Yeah. And now we have the Gavinator. Got it. The Gaviner of California. That's a good looking dude, man. I, I, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, Governor Gavin Newsom. Yeah, it's a handsome man. Could you imagine if he like welcomed Justin Trudeau to California for like a trip? Like people would lose their minds. Oh my goodness, boy, bunch of dreamboats. Hey, uh, oh my gosh, I want to get your take on uh, the PGA Tour, which has been happening for the last. Tiger, Tiger's playing tomorrow, but Tiger's back. Yes. So this podcast will drop on Thursday. Uh, Tiger. Okay, so he's playing today then. Is is back? No, it's okay. I'm just curious, like. How locked in you will be. He's paired with Brooks Kepka and yep. Rory McIlroy for Thursday and Friday. So where, where, where's Tiger? Is he going to finish on the podium this week? You think he hoists the silverware? What's your take, man? Come on. When when Tiger played uh, against Phil with with you know Peyton and, and and Tom, how good was that? By the way, in terms it was of amazing. Just, like it was TV absolute... content. That was by the way phenomenal. It, I don't know if you guys are Phil fans, but he, since he's joined social media, the dude's a, a riot, man. He's, he's hit 50. He's hit 50, and he's just a complete – he's awesome. I used to hate he, him. It seems like he just doesn't care anymore. He's just like, I'm going to say whatever the heck I want. He's funny. He wears those, you know, aviator sunglasses when he plays. He, he still hits the ball 340. He's, he almost falls down every time he swings. He rarely hits the fairway, but he doesn't care. He's the anti-Bryson because he's getting smaller, and Bryson is, is – Well, he lost weight, but Phil's still a big dude, man. I bet you he still weighs 220. He's a big guy. I mean, he's I, my height. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I think, and he's still – he's lost weight, but he's not – he's, he's still – anyway, to answer your question, I, I think that, that Tiger looked amazingly smooth when he played, and I know that wasn't a tournament. But I think if there's anybody out there that doesn't really get nervous when he plays, other than maybe the normal butterflies that all athletes should get that makes makes them care and want to win, I think Tiger looked really smooth. Now, the fact that he hasn't been playing made me nervous. Because whenever I watch Tiger, and I don't know if you guys pay attention to this, when he bends over to pick up a ball, I always kind of watch. Yeah. Because he looks a little ginger, and I actually remember thinking that he looked a little ginger when he was playing in that in that tournament. Even though his swing looked great, I didn't, he was walking stiff and I look for stuff like that. So I don't know if this break was a COVID break or if this break was, I need to get healthy again. Cause I think his swing is awesome. I think his mindset is you just, awesome. You've been talking about tiger for four minutes. You still haven't answered my question. He's, he's, gonna, he's, he, he's not, he's not going to win the tournament, but okay. he will be top 10. Okay. Serbs. You want to, you want to chime in here? Uh, top 10 is bold, but it's bold think- because he hasn't been playing. I think I think he'll be on the leaderboard somewhere um, after Friday and Saturday, but or, fr- or excuse me, Thursday and Friday. But um, on the weekend, we might see him slip a little. Top twenty-five would be decent. I think that's. I, I, think that's I, I am a huge Tiger fan. Uh, this this reeks, of course you are. This reeks of an MC this week. Oh, you think he's gonna miss the cut? I mean, yeah, no, yeah. I think he's gonna play well. Remember, only because remember when he didn't miss like. No, you remember went, there was a, there was a time in our lives, and it was really it was about a ten year yeah. period where yep. Tiger Woods made every single. It it was uh, the best streak ever. I'm pretty sure. Like, like he's he went like he's yeah some of the best golf ever played. Yeah, late '90s, early 2000s Tiger. Um, uh, look, I I love the guy. I I will be locked in. I'm rooting for it. But um, you know they're they're not playing around this week. I think the rough is like four inches long. I mean they they are you know Jack's place is going to be on steroids for these guys. It's a, it's a major field. I mean it, it it's it, the field is awesome. 
Yeah. So that he's not golf going without, up against nobody. He's going up against everybody. Look, golf without fans is is um, it's enjoyable. It's fun. I've enjoyed it. You don't have idiots yelling mashed potatoes. You're the man. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's not the worst, and it penalizes guys who can't find the fairway because there's not fans lining the ropes. By, by the way, from bouncing around. Steve, can, can we just a little sidebar here, just real quick? Yeah, go for it. What you got? Every freaking stadium and every sporting event has that idiot that actually thinks people want to hear what they have to say on a regular basis. There are people, if you, and I know you guys have both probably been on sidelines at games before, but there are people that sit behind the opposing team's bench and yell stuff to guys that are three times their size and could beat them up with their pinky that you would never say on the streets. Ever, yeah, but Wayne, and they, they and they, they lay into the people. Right. They paid for the right to heckle the, those. I, I look at those people and I'm like, holy cow! Like, how do you like live with yourself? Like, I've been heckled as a sideline reporter, and I walk lots over the years, and I walk around, and every once in a while, because I think it's funny, I'll walk up, I'll walk, and again, I think it's funny. I'm sure nobody else does, and so I'll walk up to somebody and I'll just say, hey man, what year did you play? Like when were you out here? What year did you play? Of course. And, 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 and all of his, all of his buddies are usually like, eh, cause they're all usually drunk and idiots. And like, dude, so you know so much, what year did you play, bud? Like I, that's, that's my line typically for that coach. Unbelievable. That, that like you ever, and you're going to, you're going to love this, Steven, once your kids start playing, you know, soccer and golf or whatever. I hope, sport they, I hope they're allowed to play into. team sports in their life. That'd be great. You will have coaches that'll recommend to your kids to play a sport year round. They'll recommend that your kid does, you know, the, all, the, all that sports has turned into. Give me lots of money and I'll help your kid get a, get a scholarship or I'll help your kid get whatever, 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 which is most of the time a bunch of mouth service, the lip service. And typically to those people, I'm like, dude, who are you? Like, where, where who are you to tell my kid he needs to pay $1,000 a year to play travel soccer when he's eight and that you've already decided what position he's going to be? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's a defender. He's my, my son kind of wants to score. No, no, no. He's, he's a, he's a big, strong kid. He needs to play here. You're an idiot. He needs to play everything right now. He's eight. Yeah, but I'm a club coach. Yeah, but who are you? I've never heard of you before. Your name's not messy. Your name's not, you know, I don't know who you are. Like, and those people are everywhere. And I'm not trying to be mean and say, you have to be someone to be a coach. Cause you don't, but I love it when people tell you how to make it that never made it. Sure. Well, I, I just think that's funny. I mean, I, sorry, I look, that was a little, I, no, 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 that's okay. There. I look forward to the, I defer to you on the youth sports movement. I mean, you've been well, good luck with it kids for a while. I'm, I am, I'm fresh out of the gates. So, um, we're not there yet because you know, team, team, anything is, is, uh, not allowed. Uh, You'll like daddy ball. It's really fun. It's COVID 2020 summer, but I look forward to that, man. I'll totally volunteer to be like, Hey, you know, I, they have rules now, Wayne, where like the parents can't even, yeah. Like interact. They the do platforms. anyway though. Yeah, of course. They do anyway. Because they're a bunch of monsters. Yeah. Um, what do you got going on over the next I mean, here's the thing. And Server brought this up before we started the show today, and he was spot on. We did a show last week talking about on the field storylines in college football, like who's gonna be the next Utah, who's gonna tease us with going to the college football playoff and then totally wet the bed in, in the championship game, like the Utes did. <laughs> Um, and then it's always got to be the Pac-12. It's always got to be the Pac-12. But then the shit hit the fan, and the Big Ten comes out and says, "Michigan, you're not going to Seattle. Ohio State, you're not going to Eugene. Right. We're not doing that. We're playing our guys. We want to be able to control what we can control." And and you know, I've talked to guys that work in this 
industry of college sports and every day is you're, you're kind of holding your breath you're waiting for the other shoe to drop so i think yeah. we're going to get a couple weeks of wait and see the medical miracle isn't coming like the, the vaccine isn't going to be here in time for for labor day weekend folks that's not breaking news but you know our, the only other option you have after conference schedules only is spring ball and i'm just wondering how long it takes before we get to that point you know what i mean yeah, so, so first, you know, I know that Alabama and Ohio State were like, Phew, thank God that the Pac-12 is going to do conference only so we don't have to go play those games. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it is what it is. I mean, you know, they, difficult non-conference games is something the Pac-12 always does. Yeah, it always they, does. Yeah, which is it always does. Playoff, you know, and then and then they, you know, they lose to Auburn in the last second of the game, and then the the, yeah. the powers that be out there decide that the conference is dead and shouldn't even play football anymore. Yeah, y'all can't hold um, a lead against Bo Nix, so, a true so, freshman. But it is yes. Go ahead, Serber. I have one question, kind of on the subject of you, you just mentioned it. You know, <laughs> they don't have to play Pac-12. Should the ACC be forcing Notre Dame's hand right now? Should they be telling Notre Dame, hey? You need to join our so, conference in football, or you so need so much leverage. Right? Yes, so so, so this, yeah, th this is what's uh, to me is amazing about this whole thing. Everybody, well, what's Notre Dame going to do? Because Notre Dame plays Stanford and USC every year, mm -hmm. and to be quite honest with you, for Stanford and USC, they have a very tough game in the middle of their Pac-12 schedule every year. Sure, every year they don't they don't play a nobody that we've never heard of before. They play Notre Dame. And again, so for, for USC and I love the, and Stanford, that's a great rivalry game for them, like an extra rivalry game. But not having to play it in the current world of college sports probably gives them another win. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I, because, and I hate that I, I hate with every ounce of my body, I hate saying that because that game could be played if conference champions went to a playoff and it would be about this is an amazing game but if you lose it by one on the road at notre dame and tall grass that's been watered before the game so everybody's slippery and nasty trust me I, I i watched jeff samarja and freaking brady quinn go down the field against ucla in that stadium from the sidelines in the last minute to just to to, to win a game they shouldn't have won um but I'm telling you, man, that one hurt. Uh, but it, it, I, it happens. But doesn't it feel like in the world we live in nowadays, like we're going away from those big marquee matchups that are non-conference? I feel like because it costs you too much as far as that opportunity to get into the playoff. So I don't, I don't know. I know I didn't answer what you were, what you were talking about. But Notre Dame, to me, um, the fact that they're so like they're this, they're a blue blood, right? Even though how many national championships do they have since 88? Zero, right? Right? I mean, yeah. like, they're, they're just like everybody else. I mean, I know our, our man, John Jansen, you know, Michigan, 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 they've won one since forever. You know, there's only a few teams, like, you're wearing their colors right now that have won some, and before that, how many did they win? Before Dabo, what, what won, right? Yeah. UCLA has won back in 1964. I mean, it's, it's something that most schools don't have very many, if any. Sure. And Notre Dame, though, gets the idea, well, they're an independent. Nobody's talking about BYU. What are they going to do? What, should they jump in and play Pac-12 games? They usually play a lot of Pac-12 games anyway. What about the lower-level schools like UMass? They're an independent. 
Are they even going to be able to afford football this year? Notre Dame should jump into the ACC, but in my opinion, they should just stay there. Give it up, yep. Notre Dame. Well, you need to go into a conference and be a part of that conference like everybody else. And if you don't get to play this year, oh, well. I think something that Dan Wolken from uh, USA Today said that was interesting uh, earlier was that this season isn't about winning and losing. And I know that people aren't, you know, and Dan mentioned this. I'm just paraphrasing. He's like, I know people don't want to hear that. But if, if this is about survival and getting through the year and financially being able to just keep your head above water because you're not making a profit, you know, most athletic departments don't make a profit to begin with. But yeah, if you're the Pac-12, like, man, let BYU play y'all a few times. Or, right. you know, you know, I understand the ACC, you know, Notre Dame's, I mean, they both kind of sort of need each other here. And so it's, it's amicable, I would say. But yeah, Server, to your point, like, boy, if you're the ACC, you, you really could, if you wanted to, I mean, if you, if, if you were just out for blood, you, you could hold Notre Dame's feet to the fire here. You, you really could. Um, I, I, that's not in the, that's not in the spirit of what we're trying yeah. to do this summer, where we're trying to wrap our arms around each other and, and, and kind of give each other hugs, but there's so much uncertainty. And that's it, the thing. We're going to keep doing these shows because there's going to be college football news. I just, Wayne, I'm, I'm hoping that it's of the on-field variety, you know, yeah, right. really um, but that's the reason we haven't heard from the ACC or SEC yet. It's because of Notre Dame and not only Notre Dame, but the, the in-state rivalries of Florida and South Carolina right. and Georgia. Sure. Sure. Um, that's the reason we haven't heard from those yet. Well, as long as they're coming from, because if, if the if this really comes down to the money it takes to test properly, which you know, and again, we're not even talking about what's going to happen if in week three, one team gets COVID and they're like, we can't play, and then you just have a bye that week. You know, one healthy team and one sick team, and you just don't play. I mean, they could. And, and how many makeup dates do we have? And we're going to do it like baseball. Where at the end of the year, we're going to have three weeks set up for make it, which, by the way, isn't a terrible idea, you know, because it, it, it stretches. If the season's going to be at a weird time anyway, you know, we have that big gap between bowl season anyway. Let's have a few weeks built into where maybe if there's games that are canceled, you can reschedule. I mean, that might have to be something that happens to, to, to do this correctly. Um, but by the way, I, I'm not a Notre Dame hater. I wasn't saying that for that reason, but I, I, I do think Notre Dame at some point in time, and I know a lot of people are in different places on this, should probably join a conference. Because think about all the years where Notre Dame's kind of good, and you look at their schedule, and you're like, are they a playoff team or not? You know what I mean? It's kind of a tricky thing. Now you're going to knock off two conference champions? Jump in the ACC and see if you can, you can, you can take out Clemson. That would make that conference a lot more interesting right away. Because Notre Dame is kind of like Michigan. They're solid every year mm -hmm. in an era of certain teams tend to win over and over and over again, the same four or five teams. They're always really good. They're always in that next tier. They're just not quite good enough to, to be a, you know, a, a, a national champion. And good Go God, the coastal needs another good team. They do. Uh, they, need, yeah. they need, or they need one good team. Excuse me. Would you have to add two teams to do that? Well, Notre Dame Clemson's on the schedule this year and I believe it's in South Bend. So I'm not saying that Notre Dame will be favored to win that game, but as it stands, it's happening. So we'll see. So is uh, Clemson, Florida State, although that hasn't been competitive for the last several years. So, Get a uh, book. Wayne, when, when that thought that you had about you and your wife being in that hotel in Laguna Beach comes back to you, you shoot me a text and, and we'll, 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 we'll add it to <laughs> we'll the We'll add show. it in. Okay. All right. I have no clue. 
You know, it's sad as this happens to me as a teacher sometimes too, where I'll actually ask the kids, I go, you guys, I know I went down a tangent, but can you remember where I started? And the kids will start going through thinking, well, you said this, this, and as you guys can imagine, I am that teacher that goes off on tangents from time to time. Happens. And uh, yeah, they, they usually reel me in. You guys just don't pay attention. That's why you can't, you can't that's, figure out where I was going. That's not true. I just, I mean, again, I, I, you, you weave these webs. And so I let I you, I let you go uh, until I have to kind of, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, kind of give you I the do. governor. Um, thank you to Dan Wolken from USA Today for stopping by. That was good stuff. And um, we will be back until next time at CS Now Tweets on Twitter. For Wayne Cook and Michael Serber, I'm Stephen Hartzell. We're out. Talk to y'all later. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.